0: Glad you joined us today. Welcome to Emmaus Church Community. My name's Nathan, and we're at the second half of a short series that we're doing called Changes and Chances. We're talking essentially what we're talking about in this season is rooting our confidence in the stability of Jesus. Okay? Rooting our confidence in the stability of God, especially During seasons in which the changes happening in our lives, these are all of the expected occurrences. These are the things we're planning for. These are the things we knew were going to happen. And they take up most of our time and most of our energy and all of our resources. While the changes are, are high, are intense as we shift back into going to school, and as well as the changes, the chances... Which is an old English way of responding or of of referring to the unexpected occurrences that happen in our lives. All things you didn't know were going to happen. And those are the things that actually add on top of all the expected occurrences and cause the real stress, right? That's where the stress happens, right? That's where we kind of boil over is when on top of, my gosh, the schedule is already so full, then we get a flat tire, then the refrigerator breaks, then whatever, and this is what we didn't expect. And so now we're feeling the pressure. So as we navigate all these changes and chances, I mean, is anything happening the same way as it did last August? I mean, is anything the same? I don't know if anything is exactly the same as it was last August as we kind of shifted gears into the back-to-school season last year. So as we navigate all these changes and chances, I am hoping to basically remind us of just some basic biblical themes. Some basic biblical truths to stand on, to start with, to remember as we move into the unknown of the next season of our lives. What do you mean basic or Big Bible Basics, I mean some of the the big themes of Scripture, the the themes that should shape the way we live, the themes that should organize our perspective on our life, the themes that should shape our worldview, the themes that should influence our emotions, and the themes that should affect the way we interact with the world, the, the decisions that we make, the actions that we take, such as God is good. It's a major theme in Scripture. God is good. We want to start there. We want to begin with this assumption, this assurance, this conviction. Maybe this challenge in the face of uh, apparent um, evidence to the contrary. We want to start with God is good. Another one, God is faithful. God is faithful. He's never left you. He won't ever leave you. God is faithful. We'll look at a third Big Bible Basic today. And this one that's coming up really invites us to engage our emotions. It ultimately will affect our actions, but hopefully it invites us to engage our emotions as we, as we um, launch into it. So I want to especially encourage parents of young children who have been listening and watching carefully for five months. They've been listening and watching. This has been a hard season for me. I'm a relatively stable 47-year-old man. Right, and this has been a challenging season for me. Can you imagine having to navigate all the changes, all the chances, all the cancellations, all the absences, all of the um, animosity, all of the violent images, all of the conflict, all of the parental conversations as a kid? And this has been a challenging time, for so I want to especially encourage, uh, encourage parents today to try to engage in this sermon either now or later in the week, if that works better. And I've, I've created a simple resource to kind of take you through the basic steps. This is online in the sermon notes. Uh, Nick Zoros is, is uh, hosting our online gathering today. He'll drop that into the, the sermon notes there as well. Um, and uh, I hope that that's a help for you. The sermon today is called Refuge. Refuge is a word that appears almost 100 times in the Old Testament. Initially, like in the first five books of the Bible, Moses is instructing people to set up cities of refuge. These are actual places that you could run to if you were accused of a crime and needed a safe place to wait out the trial. Okay, so maybe you're on a farm, and somebody gets hurt on the farm, or somebody even gets killed on the farm, and everybody's finger points to you, you could run to a city of refuge, and you could be safe there until a proper investigation happened, until they were able to negotiate and figure out what actually happened in the incident. So if there was a threat, if somebody was literally chasing you down, if you were in danger... For any reason, you could run to a city of refuge and you could be safe there. These were actual cities. Actual places with names. They're listed. Golan was a a city of refuge. Ramoth, Bosar, Kadesh, Shechem, Hebron. So these are these these cities. Isn't that an amazing concept? I mean, what a fantastic idea at the outset. In a world that has been almost always characterized by violence and injustice, people hurting others unfairly, God first calls a people to himself, and then says, as I establish you around the earth and you develop civilizations, I want you to build cities within these bigger cities that are cities of refuge. They'll be safe places for people who are accused of something, rightly or wrongly, to run to for safety. I think it's a great idea. It's fascinating to me. So first, the first thing you see and hear about refuge in the Bible is in reference to an actual place, a city of refuge. And then, a little bit later in the Bible, there's a book called 2 Samuel. It's the history of King David's um, reign. And, And he records... In this this book is recorded the shift of the word refuge um, from a a physical city to something bigger than that. David refers not just to a city as his place of refuge, but he starts to refer to God as his his refuge. So a refuge shifts from a civic reality to a spiritual reality. God doesn't I mean, David doesn't just talk about refuge in terms of a place. Now David uses the word refuge to refer to a person, the person of God. So David sings a song at the end of 2 Samuel, it's chapter 22, and the narrator leads into David's song by saying, David sang to the Lord the words of this song. When the Lord Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies, including Saul, So picture David, he's been accused, he's running, right? He needs to get to the city of refuge. He doesn't quite make it. Instead, he turns to God and he discovers this. And here's the words of his song. The Lord is my rock, David says, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn. That means the strength of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my Savior. And this is the sense in which the word refuge is used for the rest of the Bible. At the very beginning, as as is common in Scripture, there is a physical reality Right? An actual city of refuge, which then points to and teaches people about an even greater reality, which is a spiritual reality, and that is that the real refuge for human beings is God. The real safe place is God. The real place to run for security and stability and rescue is God. God is where we should run. Where? God is the place in which we will find safety. And then through the Psalms, we hear powerful refuge prayers over and over and over again. In fact, three-fourths of the occurrences of the word refuge appear in the Psalms, which is the prayer book of the people of God. Here's three examples. Psalm 99, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold or a safe place in times of trouble. <clears throat> Here's another example. eleven one, Psalm 11.1. 1. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? Okay, Isn't that awesome? In other words, you're in trouble and somebody says, boy, you better run away and find a place to hide up in the mountains. And the response here is the Lord is my refuge. How can you say to me, flee like a bird? Right. Psalm 16.1, a prayer Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. And these kind of prayers continue over and over and over. There's dozens of these refuge prayers throughout the Psalms. And the idea is God as refuge, finding refuge in God, finding a safe place in God. And it's a major theme in the Psalms. A few weeks ago, early in the morning, I was outside on our back patio. It was my time to pray in the morning. And for the last several years, I've been using this Benedictine prayer book. And it has a series of scriptures to read and then a series of prayers to pray at various times throughout the day. And the psalm for that particular morning was Psalm 118. And uh, that psalm is all about running to God for help. And on this morning, I felt particularly challenged by verses 8 and 9 of Psalm 118. Because rather than just declaring, "God is my refuge, God is my safe place," rather than just proclaiming God's rescue, God's protection, these two verses out of Psalm 118, they presented me with a very specific challenge. And here's what I'm talking about. Verse eight, the psalmist says, "It is better to take refuge in the Lord than it is to trust in man." And then verse nine, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So first blush, this is just a statement of comparison, right? This is just an assertion that one refuge is better than another. One refuge is more reliable than another. One one refuge is a better call than the other. So if we were talking strictly in terms of physical cities of refuge, you might say, oh man, you're really in trouble. You should run to Hebron, not Shechem, because Hebron is going to be a better call for you, a better safe place for you, a better city of refuge for you. It's going to be better for you here. It's better for you to take refuge here than it is to take refuge there. What the psalmist writes is it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And then he repeats, "It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes." Sometimes it's translated rulers. We could understand it as government." I feel like these words called me out on this morning. A lot of my prayer in the last five months has been about trying to discern how to do what I'm supposed to do. Maybe, you, maybe your prayers have been the same. How do I lead? How do I comfort? How do I teach? How do I declare the truth? How do I engage these issues? And what I've been asking of God is what should we do and how should we do it? And I've been asking those questions about several big issues that have affected our church, my family, the culture, right? And as I prayed these words from Psalm 118, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. I was challenged with this really simple question. In what or in whom are you taking refuge, Nathan? For me, it was really clarifying. It was helpful to hear and be reminded not just where I should go for help, but where I shouldn't go for help. It was challenging to hear not just who will rescue me, but who won't rescue me. Uh, It was helpful to know where my security is, that it's here, and that it's not there. When things feel like they're falling apart, and all of these really well-crafted walls that we've set up to protect our lives start getting holes punched through them, where are we looking for help? To whom are we looking for rescue? Whose guidance are we seeking? Whose protection are we hoping to receive? It just, you know, it, I've been thinking a lot in these last few weeks about how, how much importance we place on security. We value insurance. It's a major part of our culture. We fortify ourselves against all kinds of threats, whether they're real or imagined. Safety is a premium in our culture. It is safety first for most of our culture in normal times. And that premium on safety has only amplified over the last several months. It doesn't really matter if the threat is real or perceived. It doesn't really matter in the sense that the threat is the most powerful Thing in the world right now. The threat is running everything, right? The threat's got the, uh, got the controls. Whether it's real or perceived, it doesn't really matter. So here's the question in the face of that threat. Where will you go for refuge? To whom will you run for refuge? When you feel shaken Where are you going to go for security? When you feel scared, who are you going to go to for assurance? The psalmist says it's better to find refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to find refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Okay, let's try to push this to the practical as much as we can. I doubt that many of us in our normal conversation use the word refuge it's still part of the song. We just sang a song where, because it's biblical language, but I haven't had a casual conversation with anybody in the last several months where, where we've talked about, you know, refuge and just sort of casual conversation. I don't think it's a common word, but it is a powerful word because it calls to mind this actual physical real thing, this real place where, these, where there are these gated cities where you could run for safety, so we can imagine a refuge concretely, and that makes this a very powerful word because it conjures up a picture in my head. I can build a refuge out of Legos if I want to, right? I can draw a picture of some little stick dude booking it as fast as he can, a little sweat drops coming off his neck, his hair blowing back, his eyes really big, right? And he's just huffing it, trying to get to the gates before the gates close, and behind him there's this huge crowd of other stick people. And they got pitchforks and knives and dogs, and they're chasing him down, right? Because they want him, but he's going to get to the safe place. He's going to get to the refuge. So that, that, that physical picture, that image, it makes this such a helpful word for me. It's got weight, right? It carries this visceral emotional quality with it. It's not just an intellectual idea. It's not just a theory. It feels real. So refuge is a powerful word. It's also a powerful word because then the reality of that physical brick and mortar actual place gets applied to God. And now my mind is like, oh, it's bigger than that. It's being applied to God. David says... God is my refuge, and you're thinking, oh, I thought you were just talking about this, but this concept is getting bigger, and now the refuge becomes more sophisticated, more profound, more universal, more accessible, right? Not just a place, but a person. I don't have to go there, actually. I can just be here and be with God who is with me, right? This God who is good, this God who is faithful, and God who is existence itself, (laughs) whose name is I am, who's really hard for me to really grasp or comprehend, suddenly becomes a bit more practical, a bit more concrete, a bit more graspable, a bit more personable, a bit more relatable. And this is the way that God reveals himself throughout all of humanity, friends. This is the pattern of revelation. This is the way we learn about who God is all through the Old Testament. And then it is culminated in Christ and through the teachings of Christ. And by that I mean you start with an actual object. And then that object points to a greater reality. An actual object. Let's use a different example. Let's talk about bread. An actual, so you take something like bread... And we experience that thing, that bread, and then God uses that thing that we understand, that we've got personal experience with, to teach us more about God. So to use the bread example, you have this need. You have this need. And then you have this corresponding feeling. It's called hunger. And you learn as you grow up that there's something that will satisfy that need. It's called bread. And it's going to make you feel better, at least for a couple hours, if not for the whole day, right? And then Jesus comes along and Jesus says, to a bunch of people who understand bread, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Ah, right? And he who comes to me will never be hungry. And, and then you realize, as good as bread is in and of itself, that the ultimate purpose, I mean the ultimate purpose of bread is just to point us to God. It's just to point us to God. This whole time we've been eating bread and we've been learning this reality that would be impossible for us to learn unless we started with the physical. So if you were to interview a little piece of sourdough and say, hey, what is your purpose anyway? The, the sourdough bread would say, I'm here to teach you about God. Really, that's what the bread would say. I'm here to teach you about God. Communion bread is like bread dancing. Because it's like, woo, we got picked. We are ultimately pointing to God, right? Right. What is bread teaching us specifically about God? Bread is teaching us that God is the source. He's the source of life, right? And it's so simple, but we get it. We get it because we get bread. We understand that. So it's helpful. And then, the, So it's, we think it's about this physical thing. You experience this thing, and then you get this thing, and then the curtain is drawn back, and you realize that this simple thing is designed to teach us about God ultimately. Okay, so let's go back to refuge and think of that same pattern, okay? First we learn about refuge. The first thing we learn about refuge is that it is an actual place, and then David realizes and declares what he's experienced in this physical place before, because David's always on the run. What he's experienced in this physical place before, he now realizes is true about God. He doesn't have to make it six miles and over the river. He can just find refuge in God. The city of refuge is ultimately, if you were to interview the city of refuge and say, what is your point, city of refuge? City of refuge would say, I'm here to teach you about God. That's ultimately why I exist. Yeah, you can be safe here on a physical level, but this whole physical thing is meant to teach you about a greater reality. And that is that God is our refuge. So first you have a place, and then you have a person. And in order for this to get practical, got to push it to this question, which is, how then do we make this a practice? How do I make this truth practical? Meaning, how do I practice this? What does this mean practically, that God is our refuge? Here it is. It means you trust God. That's what it is. You trust God. That's the practice. That's what it means. You trust God. You place your trust in God. The word that is usually translated refuge in the Bible is this Hebrew word, hasa. It's actually a verb, which is why we translate it into English as refuge. You have to add a verb, take, to it. Take refuge, right? The verb, the word, even more often than it's translated refuge, is translated trust. It's translated trust. Psalm 118, 8 and 9, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. The word refuge is a good word. It's such a powerful word because it evokes this great image of an actual city, a city of refuge. But essentially the psalmist is saying this, it is better to trust God than trust people. That's the point. God is the most trustworthy. He's more trustworthy than rulers. And and that gets right to it. That's direct, okay? That's specific. Who do you trust? Who are you actually trusting? May God enable us to be as specific and practical as possible in the various parts of our life where we feel like we have needs. It's gotta make a difference here, right friends? Where we have needs, who are you trusting? Who are you trusting? Who are you looking to for help in these actual areas in your life where you have a need? There are two groups in the Bible which are most often associated with running to God for refuge. They are the poor and those who are in trouble. The poor whose actual obligations are greater than their resources and those who are in trouble. Or sometimes it says those who are in times of trouble. Those who need help. In other words, the truth that God is our refuge. Listen. It was never meant to be a nice greeting card thing. It was never meant to be embroidered on somebody's wall, like God is our refuge, like some sort of safe generality. Okay? This is not some vague sort of indefinite theory. This is a very specific message of rescue for the poor. God is your refuge. Trust God. This is a very specific lifeline for those who are in trouble. This is incredibly practical. Trust God. God with this where you feel out of your depth God is our refuge this means you place your trust in God it is better to place your trust in God than anywhere else so you have a you have a practice now you have something to do rooted in the reality of this place rooted in the reality of this person now we have a practice what is the practice trusting that's the practice basic I mean, this is so basic, is it not? Big Bible basic stuff. We trust God. So many things, friends, so many things we've trusted. So many structures we've trusted. So many assumptions we've made about the permanence of certain, um, certain structures and, and organizations. So many tickets we've purchased, right, assuming So many assumptions we've made about a variety of things. So many things, so many guarantees we've counted on. As you and I navigate all the changes and all the chances of this life, the challenge, and it is a challenge, the challenge is to be honest about who it is that we are trusting. What it is that we are trusting. That's the challenge. And the invitation is to start by trusting God. First step, trust God. It's better to trust God than to trust anyone else or anything else. It's better. That's what David has learned. It's better. A man who's faced all kinds of challenges and threats, real and imagined, trusted in a variety of things, he says at the end of his life, it's better to trust in God than to trust in man. It's better to trust in God than to trust in rulers. Not because all these other things are so fragile. They are, but it's not just because all these other things are so fragile. It's because God is so stable. It's because God is a rock. God is a fortress. God is a shield. God is an ever-present help. He is a refuge in times of trouble. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Where it matters, Lord, in your goodness. Because you are always faithful. Motivated by good. Pull the curtain back. Help us to see in our lives where it matters. What it is we're trusting in. Where it is we're placing our sense of confidence. And remind us in a way that we can understand, it's better to trust you. It's better to trust you. May we work with all of the effort that we have. May we create and serve and, and, and love. But may it all be rooted in a sense, ultimately, that we, we're trusting you. We're trusting you for the poor. We're trusting you for the needy. We're trusting you uh, in times of trouble. Would you be our refuge? Would we practice trust this week? Would we practice, may we practice trusting you. It's better to trust you than anything or anyone else. So we thank you that you are a trustworthy God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.